Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Um, the the run-up to Jesus' death, the, the days and hours immediately before Jesus' death on the cross. And... We've reached the point uh, where Jesus enters a garden, and the the garden is called Gethsemane. And the interesting thing is that uh, Gethsemane means the oil press. I don't know if you know anything about the the olive oil industry. We went um, uh, in Italy in the summer uh, last year to an olive oil museum, which um, showed the history of, of olive production. And it's actually really interesting. It may not sound it, but <laughs> it's really interesting. The, the traditional um, olive oil press is um, a, a structure that you load these discs in, fi- fiber discs, um, on which you place the, the crushed olives, which have been uh, ground with a millstone. And you stack them up, and then... You um, these days they, they use a hydraulic press just to um, to squish the thing down. But back in Jesus' time, um, you would have turned a handle on the top, which would have driven a screw down on top of the um, the stack of olives, and it applies great pressure to the olives. If you're um, of a scientific mind, let me tell you, um, to get the the oil out of the olives. Um, they often apply 40 megapascals, or if you're, if you're um, of an older generation, 6,000 pounds per square inch. And at that sort of pressure, the, the oil flows out from the olive. Up, up until that point, you would, um, you would never guess what's inside. It, the, the olive's just another little green berry like uh, 100 other trees growing little green berries. Um, but when you pressurize the, the olive, out pours the most amazing oil. And it is perhaps no accident that Jesus went to a place called the oil press, because this was the place where he faced the greatest pressure of his entire life. And, you know, we're, what we're going to see tonight is that when we're under pressure, things flow forth from our life. And when the olive is under pressure, that oil flows forth. It's the most amazing oil. It has amazing health-giving properties that scientists are only just beginning to understand. And we need to make sure that, uh, that what's in our life, when the, when the screw turns and the pressure is on, uh, also brings life and health to those around us. You see, the thing is, until the pressure is applied on your life and mine, nobody knows exactly what's going to come out. Jemima was uh, was on a train a few months ago, and um, she headed for the toilet. You know these um, train toilets that have um, an electric door? So you press a button and the door goes... And then you go inside, and then you close it. And then, crucial point, um, you need to press the lock button to, um, to secure the, the door. Well, Jim goes along. 
hits the switch. Revealing a very large woman sitting on the toilet (laughs) who had forgotten the crucial last step of pressing the lock button. So Jem, in great embarrassment, hits the um, the close button and the the door begins to close again. But um, unfortunately, at this point, the the woman, uh, in absolute panic, um, also hits the close button. Um, or, Or rather, she thinks she's hitting the close button. What she actually hits is the emergency stop button for the train. (laughs) And so Jem returns to her seat in a great hurry and the train slowly comes to a halt. (laughs) But, you know, what I'm thinking tonight is that sometimes life deals the unexpected on us. And sometimes somebody presses a button and the door begins to open. And we are exposed. And in our, in our panic, instead of bringing forth a godly response, we hit the emergency stop button on our life. And our trajectory, our purpose for God, the plans that that God has for us at that point, come slowly to a halt. Here in the garden, the pressure is on Jesus, and we're about to see what's inside Jesus. Let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 26. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And here's Jesus at the crunch point, at the place of decision, at the, um, the crisis point of his life. And it might cross our minds. Why did Jesus go through such anguish as he approached his, his execution? After all, if you, if you look through history, not all leaders, political leaders, religious leaders who are, who are heading uh, for execution have gone through this sort of suffering. Uh, some other historical figures have, uh, have gone to the gallows much more boldly. But the answer is this, that Jesus is going to experience something on the cross which nobody else ever has experienced or ever will. Remember, this is Jesus, the Son of God, part of the the Godhead, one with Father God since before time began. He's never known anything but unity with his Father. He's never experienced even the slightest interruption in his connection with God. And now, 
he's about to be cut off. He's about to be separated from Father God. For the first time in eternity, he's, uh, he, that connection is about to be broken. He's about to be cursed for the sins of the world. And, you know, we can, we can perhaps begin to imagine how Jesus felt about the, the physical pain and so on. I don't think we can even embark on that road of understanding the spiritual pain of the, the separation that he knew was coming with Father God. And here Jesus has a choice to make. And this may perhaps surprise us that, that Jesus has a choice to make. When I was a student, I had a, a disagreement with my youth leader about this. Uh, he, he said Jesus had a choice to make. And I said, but, but Jesus is God, and God wanted him to go to the cross, and therefore um, God's will will be done. And so he didn't have a choice to make. And my youth leader, who is now a great um, pastor in the Elam movement of churches in, in Northern Ireland, he... Um, in fact, you might know him. He was here in Aberdeen, Mark Stone. Um, well, he was my youth leader many, many years ago in Edinburgh. And he gently explained that, that yes, Jesus was God, but he also had a human side. And, you know, I came to realize that, um, that Mark was right and I was wrong. You know, I had underestimated that human side of Jesus. Yes, Jesus was God. Yes, Jesus is God. But in that time that he was here on the earth, he had laid aside his majesty. He had, he had set aside um, the, the omnipotent, omniscient nature of God. He had, he had left all that behind him and he had come to earth as a man. Yes, as a perfect man but a, a man who was, who was subject to the same desires, the same pressures, the, the same thoughts, the same conflicts as, as you and I. And so he faced a genuine choice here in the garden. Just as you and I have a genuine choice to make when we reach the pressure point. What's in this for Jesus? On a personal level, absolutely nothing. Because he already had it all. Before he stepped down from heaven, he already had it all. He came to earth not for himself, but for others. He came for you and I. He came because of his love for God. Because of his love for people. And he realizes, I've no doubt, he realizes as he, he struggles in anguish in the garden. He realizes this is the only way. This is the only way to birth something amazing. To birth something called the church, which will be a light to the world for centuries to come, which will transform society in amazing ways, which will carry the message, the good news, to millions. And you know, that's what swung the day. That's what made Jesus' mind up. That's what, what secured his decision he looked beyond the pain. He looked beyond the agony. He looked beyond the cross. And he saw what was coming. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off 
everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that lay beyond the suffering, for the joy that lay beyond the cross, he, he makes this choice to lay down his life for the church. And you know, there are times when, when we also will be called to, to lay down our lives for the church, probably in our society, not literally, but um, we will be called to, to lay down our own plans, to lay down our own agendas, to, to lay down our own ideas, our own opinions, so that the church may grow, so that the church may advance, so that the church of Jesus Christ here on the earth may flourish. And so when the pressure was on Jesus, as he is squeezed here in the olive press of life, what comes forth? Remember, the pressure of life reveals what's on the inside. So what comes forth from Jesus? Well, oil. Because in the Bible... Oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And what we see here is a response that is born entirely from the Holy Spirit. It's a self-sacrificial response. It's Jesus laying himself down and saying, not my will, but yours be done. We need the Holy Spirit on the inside. We need his oil flowing in our lives and we need it. We, we need him, we need his presence at, at such a, a level that when the, the button is pressed and the, and the door begins to roll back, that there's enough of God inside of us, that a, that a God response comes forth rather than the, the sudden panic for the emergency stop button. Elijah was a man who had experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in a big way. You know, on this particular day, Elijah had been on the mountaintop and Elijah had had this incredible contest with the prophets of Baal. And these prophets of Baal had been trying to, to get Baal to light their, their offering on their altar. And they'd been dancing around all day and they'd been cutting themselves and whipping themselves. And, and of course, Baal could do nothing. And eventually they give up and Elijah goes forward. And Elijah, obviously filled with the Holy Spirit at this point, he, he steps out and he pours water over his, his offering. And he, set, he calls on the, the God of heaven and fire comes down from heaven and consumes the offering and, and the water. You know, what an incredible God encounter. What an incredible move of the Holy Spirit. And yet, it's just hours later that we see the, the screw being turned on, on Elijah. And we look at the, the response that comes forth from his life. The screw in this case is a message from Jezebel. And Jezebel says, and you watch out, Elijah, because I'm going to uh, make your life like one of those prophets of Baal that you killed on the mountain. And... 
it's like immediately he steps out of that presence of God. Immediately he, he lets go that, that spirit connection, which just hours earlier on the mountaintop he, he had obviously had. And he turns tail and runs. And he ends up hundreds of miles away cowering in a cave and calling out to God to, to kill him because his life is so miserable. You know, sometimes it, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much of a, of a hit from life to throw us from the mountaintop into, into that cave, uh, crying out for God to take our lives. And what makes a difference? You know, we need, the, we need the Holy Spirit not as some experience, not as some occasional encounter, not even as a, as a regular encounter on Sundays, good as that is. But, but we need God resident in our life. We need enough of the Holy Spirit within us that, that whenever the panic comes, that whenever the, the toilet door rolls open on us, that whenever the, um, the, the screw of the olive press is tightened in our life, that it, it's oil of the Holy Spirit that flows forth. We have two options when we're under pressure. We can trust God. Or we can press the emergency stop button. And it all depends what we have on the inside. What's inside us will be revealed in that moment as the screw tightens. But we need to prepare in advance. You know, that, that moment when the toilet door begins to open, you, you can't be prepared in that moment. You can't suddenly read ten, ten chapters of the Bible and... and um, <laughs> Uh, and worship God and, um, and call down his presence and ring three faithful-filled fr- friends and, um, and be ready for the battle. Life isn't like that. Like, life often takes us by surprise. L- life hits us from behind. Life sneaks up on us. Life jumps out in the path when we're least expecting it. And what made the difference for Jesus was a, a life consistently spent in relationship with the Spirit of God. And from that consistent walk with God, from that consistent connection with God, Jesus brought forth a spirit response. And we can do the same. Jesus is our example, and this is, as in everything else, looking unto Jesus. So that verse in, in Hebrews, he's our example. He's our inspiration. We can do the same. But we need to prepare for those moments when life comes against us. Many of you will know we're about to enter into a very exciting phase of our building project um, over in Inverness. Um, This is something that's been on the go for for quite a long time. Um, In the early days of the church, we started off a, a building fund. And, um, you know, every month or so we'd, um, we'd give a bit of money into it. But the, the, the story of the, the building we have now really begins at the beginning of 2010. Um, I really felt it was time to shift something in the spirit. We had been looking around for, for a building um, to some extent or other for a number of years. And there, w- there was nothing really suitable they, We'd looked at some buildings in the city center. The, the rents were, were through the roof, like, um, 
£54,000 a year for, a, um, for a, an area no bigger than this room. And I really felt we need, to, we need to shift something. We need to believe God for something to move. Mm. And at the beginning of that year, I got the church together and I said, look, let's give sacrificially. Let's each make a decision that, um, that we're going to give a, a above and beyond, something really meaningful um, over the next 12 months, over the course of this year, and, and believe God for, for something to shift. And so people in the church, most of them, um, really rose to the call. And uh, quite a number of people after that um, committed to give £100 a month on top of their tithes and offerings, which is, is really quite a commitment. And, you know, I believe that that moved something in the spirit. That really set the, the course uh, for our building. In the early summer of that year, uh, suddenly an opportunity came along. Um, to, two opportunities, really. The, the, a church building and a church hall um, up for sale right in the city center. And it seemed to, to us at the time that the... The church hall was the one to go for. It was smaller. It was more manageable. Uh, it, would, it would serve the, the, the purpose that we needed at the time. And so we, we began to pursue that. But, you know, times of opportunity, times of great opportunity, bring great, bring great pressure around people's lives. Yeah. And um, that pressure began to, to tell in the life of the church. In April of that year, uh, one of our trustees left the church. In August, the other trustee left the church. Um, in October, uh, we put a bid in, a, a, a high bid um, for this church hall, and we didn't succeed. And, you know, this is a great example of how we can't live by, um, by closed doors. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, well, God must be closing a door. But how do you know it's God closing the door? It could be some measly devil closing the door. And um, the, the, you know, doors were closing left, right, and center here. But, um, but I believe God was saying, keep going. And immediately after that, uh, an opportunity comes up to, to buy the, the church building, the, the larger property along the road. And... You know, it's, um, it's bigger, it's, it's bolder, it's, um, in the long run it will, um, it will be amazing. But there's, there were so many things against it back then. It's probably a million pound project in the, in the long run. And we've got 30,000 in the bank. Um, we, we've got people saying, it's not wise. <laughs> saying, it's... Um, it's a bit big for where you're at now, saying, um, uh, look at that church down on the south coast of England that, that took on a big building. Look what happened to them. And yes, that, that was a disaster. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they, I could feel the, the screw turning on the olive press of my life at this time. It's, um, it looks easy in retrospect um, to see God in this, but it was not at the time. Um, it's so difficult sometimes to, uh, to see the way forward. And um, it was a phone call to Kevin that, that really tipped the balance um, for me. I, um, I rang him up the night before the decision we had to make. Kevin, of course, wasn't our senior pastor at the time, but he was 
still my overseer. And I said, do you think we can, we can do this? And Kevin said, yes, I think you can do this. And, um, you know, we, we went for it. And it has not been plain sailing. There's been, there's been obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. But, you know, choosing, choosing that day to, to go through the pain, to go through the pressure, so much would have lifted off my life the last, the last few years if we had not had a building project. But, but yet God's in it. And we sometimes, we need to make a choice. I'm, I'm not going to choose what's comfortable for me. I'm not going to choose what's easy for me. I'm instead going to pursue the kingdom of God. As we close tonight, I want to look back one more glimpse of Jesus in the garden. Jesus spends time in prayer. And here is just one snippet, but one important snippet out of the prayer that he prays. John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus prayed, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that we may be one, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, this sort of unity and love that Jesus was speaking over the lives of his disciples, and that includes us, it's, it's something that grabs the attention of the world. Jesus said, then the world will know that you sent me. Why? Because they see the, the, the unity in the church, because they see what, uh, what God has birthed. These sorts of things cannot be humanly manufactured. Over the years, I've seen many attempts to, to launch you know, a, a new age community or a, a hippie commune or something. And they, they always start off with the best of intentions. Oh, yes, it'll be all peace and love and, and everyone will get along wonderfully. And we'll, um, it's all about cooperation and, um, and selflessness and, and, and all this. And... Um, Usually after a year or two, uh, one of these selfless people runs off with all the money and, um, <laughs> and um, the, this, this conflict breaks out and that conflict breaks out and before you know it, the thing's fallen apart. It's only through God that we can birth this sort of church that, um, that Jesus is envisaging in this, uh, in this passage. It's only through God it, it takes the, the oil of the Holy Spirit to build these sorts of relationships, to, to build the sort of unity, complete unity, Jesus said. He said that, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. He's talking about a oneness in the church that's comparable to the oneness between Jesus and Father God. You know, that is, that is mind-blowing if we get a hold of that. But that's what Jesus is praying and 
You know, no prayer that Jesus, Jesus prays is impossible. This is his vision for the church. This is his manifesto for the church. Now we need more of his spirit. More of his spirit so that when the pressure's on, it's not me that comes forth, but his oil. So when the pressure's on, I'm not pursuing my own self, my own agenda, but I'm chasing after God. So that when the pressure's on, so that when the screw turns, so that when the toilet door opens, I follow Jesus' example and lay down myself. And don't reach for the panic button. Don't reach for the emergency stop. Lay myself down to build his church. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.